On today's episode of The Purposeful Pitch, I speak with Kathleen O'Toole, Assistant Provost of K-12 Education at Hillsdale College. Dr. O'Toole oversees a network of classical education, tuition-free public charter schools that are popping up across the country. They're growing in in popularity. Uh, They are uh, founded by parents who are interested in providing additional opportunities uh, for their children. Uh, So please join me and Dr. O'Toole on this episode of The Purposeful Pitch. Well, welcome to The Purposeful Pitch podcast. Dr. O'Toole, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I wanted to chat with you about uh, classical education. Uh, There are a number of learning models uh, and, you know, with school choice, uh, in Michigan and other uh, in other states, uh, you know there is the opportunity for parents to, uh, you know, choose the model that's right for for their child and their family. Uh, and classical education is one that is growing uh, across the country, uh, but still there are probably more people who don't know exactly uh, what classical education is. So maybe you can just tell us, you know, what is classical education and how does it differ from, you know, what folks. Uh, see in their traditional public schools? Mm -hmm. Well, classical education, the short way of saying it is it's the education that almost every American in this country received a couple of generations ago. So for me, it's the way that my grandparents went to school. It, um, it's a, we say it's a liberal arts education. It's a well-rounded education. In classical schools, we're not asking students to figure out what they're going to be when they grow up too early on. Instead, we're giving them a solid foundation in literature, history, math, science, fine arts, language, physical education, so that they can grow up uh, paying attention to who they are and the world as a whole. And then when they are ready to choose a college and figure out what they're going to do with themselves as adults, they have knowledge of themselves and knowledge of the world to work from. Yeah. Now you, uh, before, uh, before overseeing or, or uh, working with the Barney Charter School Initiative as a whole, you were um, a principal at, uh, at Founders Classical in, in Leander. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, so maybe paint a picture verbally, if you can, on what a day in the life uh, of, for a classical education, what does that look like? Uh, you know, so, so that our listeners have even a better understanding. Yeah, well, um, it was different every day. The person who hired me gave me some very wise advice. He said, you're gonna come in every morning with your to-do list and you're gonna sit at your desk for approximately 10 minutes (laughs) and in that time, everything on your to-do list will get pushed to the end of the day and you'll have a whole new list of things to do. Sounds like my life in in PR. Yep, (laughs) it's unpredictable. (laughs) I really really liked that it was unpredictable. I liked um, having to be flexible. I liked having to do a little bit of everything. Um, It was especially unpredictable in the very first years of the school. So that school didn't exist until we started it. And we founded it, uh, me and the faculty and the parents and the students, we all founded it together in 2014. Yeah, and that's what kind of makes, you know, the the Barney Charter School Initiative schools, for the most part, uh, different than many charter schools, uh, is that uh, they are founder-driven and not necessarily uh, run by a charter school management uh, company. We've right? got both. Okay. We've got both. Um, we've got independent boards of local citizens who want to see a better educational option in their community, and they'll start a school. And then there are some charter management organizations we work with that um, 
you know, have seen classical education really take off and they can make it, uh, they, they can start schools more quickly. So why do you think you know, the classical model uh, is growing uh, across the United States? I think that people are dissatisfied with most of the things that they see in public schooling. I think that parents want a more substantive education. I think that, um, I think that parents sense that we're trying a lot of new things mm. in education, in public schools, and they want to they're attracted to classical education because it's got a very clear vision of what it's doing and it's relying on tried and true methods. We're not, we're not trying to be cutting edge in classical schools because we think that if you look at the history of education in this country and before, we've already figured out a lot of things that work really well. Yeah. I think that's an encouraging message for parents. Yeah. I know I was, you know, I've had an opportunity to, to, to visit a few of the schools and was really impressed with the level of engagement of the students. It's a lot, it's a lot more give and take with the teacher and student. Uh, and going back to when I was a child many, 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 many moons ago, uh, that's kind of how it was. I mean, there was far more, it, it wasn't just sitting and listening to instruction. It's a lot more, you know, what do you think about this? Or uh, an opportunity for the students to engage in conversation. Yeah. Yeah, the best teachers know that their job is to ask questions. And they're, they're smart about what questions to ask of which students and when, because ultimately education is an activity performed by the student. You can't teach someone against that person's will. Yeah. They're the ones who are doing it. And so I think you're right. I think that the students have to be engaged for it's it to more, work. More active than, than passive. I mean, it's, it's yeah. I mean, you are. There's no such you know, thing as no passive kids learning. falling asleep when, when the, the, there's conversation, ongoing conversation going on in the classroom. No, never. You know, so what is it you valued most uh, as a principal? Uh, you know, I know working closely with a, a number of principals uh, and superintendents and, and others, you know, it's, many times it's a, it's a thankless position because it is a leadership role and you're being bombarded from a variety of angles from, from families and teachers and board members and everything else, but there's gotta be something great about it. Oh my so gosh, there's what, so many maybe, great things about it. Uh, my favorite part of it was hiring teachers. Every January, the hiring season begins and we go into the second semester knowing what positions we might have to fill. And then I would do sometimes a nationwide search for the very best teachers to come to our school. And I loved that process. I loved meeting those people. I loved finding the ones who were gonna be really great. Uh, to be a, to be well, what, a. What, what, makes a, what makes a great classical education teacher? The first thing is you've gotta be an interesting person. To be a teacher of young people in general, mm -hmm. you have to be an interesting person because you're spending so much time with them. They're not just learning what you write in your lesson plan. They're learning who you are as a person. And so you've got to be good, you've got to be a good example, all of those things, but it really helps if you're just interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not something I've ever thought of, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, day, you're in the same classroom day in, day out, and if it's the Ferris Bueller uh, teacher who's just droning on and on, yeah, I mean, you're gonna tune that person out. That's, that's, that's makes a ton of sense. Yeah, yeah, you've gotta love what you're teaching, be able to talk about it effectively, but then, you know, outside of the classroom, so the teachers we had at Leander, they're just, they're just a great group of people, really interesting group of people. 
We have someone who uh, is a beekeeper and a farmer. We have someone who reads physics for fun. We have, I mean, they just have fascinating hobbies and interesting habits. And the students will figure that out about them eventually. And it's sort of a model for the students of how to be a curious person if you get interesting people on the ground. It helps humanize them as well. Yeah. And helps with the connectivity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, that's critical to... Uh, growing that relationship and keeping them keeping them interested as well. So that's 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 fascinating. Now, what do you wish that the public knew about principles uh, that that maybe they don't consider or or give much thought to? Um, well, I think depictions of school leaders or principals in TV and media. You know, always they often look exhausted. <laughs> Frumpy, they often look, frum- <laughs> yeah, like old and tired and just, just worn beat that, beat down. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, you can become that way, um, but if you're really good at it, it means that you are a you are an interested person and an interesting person. And there's a huge variety of things that you're responsible for, especially in a charter school. Um, and so I think, you know, I think I think families who are plugged in know that the the person the persona of the principal is um, has a huge impact on the school. Yeah. And I think that I think that we should ask a lot of our school principals. You know, they're they're responsible for a lot. So parents should know if you have a question, ask them. Just ask them to their face. They should be able to answer it. Schedule a meeting first. Be respectful. <laughs> But you know, ask, ask, and if they're if they're a good school principal, they will give you a good answer. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to be something about uh, you know email and response time, and and uh, you know that oh. give give them a little bit of, of leeway. That uh, I always you know, tried for two days. I wasn't always able to do it, but sometimes I could. Yeah, um, you're better off than I am at this <laughs> it's point, hard. Um, as my colleagues will tell you. Uh, <laughs> now, so what, what are some of the misconceptions about classical education that uh, you know, you'd, you'd like to debunk? I mean, I know there, there's probably a lot out there uh, that, that you, as someone who has seen both uh, you know, uh, traditional public schools and, and classical uh, education, you can provide some thoughts on. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think classical education to people who have not experienced it comes across as harsh, and it's not harsh. It's humane. It's it's geared toward our human nature, and so it's fulfilling yeah. in a way that perhaps you wouldn't expect if you you know were imagining the tough teacher with the ruler and the you know stuffy clothing. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing I would say. The next thing is anyone can do it. It's when we uh, when we started Founders Classical Academy for Leander. I had these two ladies come and visit in the first year, and it wasn't clear to me why they were visiting mm. until we had completed our tour and talked for about thirty minutes. And finally, they just came out with it, and they said, "We're from a private school, and we came because we didn't know if this was possible with public school kids." Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh, right, that's what, that's what people think. Mm. People think that because classical education has only been available for a long time uh, to tuition-paying parents in certain neighborhoods, that therefore not anyone can learn this sure. way, not anyone can study the liberal arts. And that, I think, is 100% wrong. 
the liberal arts are for everyone. This education is for everyone. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, this was generations ago. This was day in, day out. What, this is what people our, do. Our grandparents or parents or whatnot said that this is how they learned. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I know that technology isn't really a focal point uh, in, in classical education. And you know why? It, why is that? You know, is is that something that parents should be concerned about? That with uh, you know the the way that the careers have gone and and the evolution of our society and how important technology is. You know, how is my child going to be able to adapt if they're not dealing with technology day in day out? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a really common question uh, for parents. What I would always say to parents and teachers is, listen, technology is a tool. You can take your cell phone and you can use it to call for help when you need it, or you can use it to play video games all day and not have human conversation. <laughs> uh, just like with a hammer, you know, you can fix something that's broken or you can use it as a weapon. So like any tool, it can be used for good purposes and bad purposes. And we have to be very thoughtful about what those purposes are. Mm -hmm. So we're not anti-technology, but we're aware that it's not a good for its own sake. It's not something that needs to be in schools all the time. And I think that parents are catching on to that. If you, if you read the research about what the iPhone is doing to our attention spans, uh, if you read the research about kids who are educated on iPads and what they, what they are able to do and not able to do, you see that technology is not the answer. Mm. There's, a, there's a lot of harm that can be done uh, to a student who doesn't learn to, for example, learn through conversation with another human being, to read a book for any sustained period of time, to write by hand. Mm. Those things are worth knowing. And, um, and uh, you know, the, the iPad or computers are not a substitute. Yeah, I know that cursive is, is something that you, that, uh, oh my gosh, that the BCSI yeah. schools are, are committed to. And, 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 and why is that? I mean, cursive my, my, is so I, important. no one can read my cursive, but it's chicken scratch and my daughter always mocks me for it, but <laughs> so be it. I can do it at least, uh, even if I'm the only one who can read it. But what, what's the importance of, of cursive writing and why do, you, why do you still teach it? Cursive is so important. Um, it does a number of things for the, for the student. If you're writing in cursive, it teaches you to take time and care with your work. Also, think about it this way. In cursive, every letter is connected to every other letter, mm. and so it causes you to think more deeply about spelling. Mm. The best dyslexia programs require students to use cursive because it helps them not switch letters around. Um, also, students need to be able to read cursive. Mm. Uh, if you don't learn to write it, you won't be able to read it. And some of the most important things ever written were written in cursive. Okay. Uh, for example? For example, the Declaration of Independence. Okay. Well, that's a good example. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, this has been uh, this has been excellent, uh, Dr. O'Toole. I appreciate uh, you're, you're spending the time on the purposeful pitch, uh, and you know maybe as kind of a uh, an end uh, end point, you know, would love to hear a little bit about uh, you know any any anecdotal or examples of uh, a student or family who have connected with uh, with the classical education that you can uh, you know just again for our listeners demonstrate the potential value uh, of classical education to, to their families. Sure. I'll tell you about Preston. Hi, Preston. I miss you. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Preston was a new student at Founders Classical Academy of Leander a couple of years ago. And he's in, when he first came, he was in eighth grade, I think. And he's just this really funny kid. He's got bright red hair and freckles, and he says way too much. You know, sometimes <laughs> these kids say things to the principal that they shouldn't say. You're like, why are you telling me that? Um, anyway, so Preston is, Preston is a funny kid, and when he came in to the school, we looked at his you know, packet and all of his scores to get to know him, and he was very close to the top of his previous public school class in terms of all of the standardized measures. So we thought, okay, great. And then we look at Preston's grades, and Preston is flunking nearly everything. Mm. And he came, and he's so funny. He, Dr. O'Toole, I cannot do this. There's sentence diagramming in my eighth grade literature class. I can't do it. And then he, you know, after he took a test, Dr. O'Toole, I just failed my sentence diagramming class. I was like, okay, Preston, what's going on here? He's like, I have no idea how to do this. So we set up special, special sentence diagramming practice for Preston after school. <laughs> He's a super smart kid. He just didn't have this one skill that you absolutely need um, to write and to read. You know, sentence diagramming. What is sentence diagramming? A sentence diagramming is when you take the parts of a sentence and you put them in a diagram which shows the function of every single word in the sentence. So if you're capable of doing sentence diagramming, then you know every part of speech. Okay and you're able to sort of analyze the structure of a sentence at a deep level. And it's, it's really helpful for reading, for reading comprehension. And then people who know sentence diagramming are interested in different sentence structures and they become excellent writers. So it's a really good skill to have. I mean, obviously I knew that, I was just testing. Naturally, sure. yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, back, so back to Preston. Anyway, so Preston <laughs> just couldn't do it because it's a complicated skill. It's like algebra or something. Mm. Um, and his previous school hadn't been teaching it, and his grades were not great, as he will say himself. <laughs> so we did special sentence diagramming tutoring, and, and that kid figured it out. You know, he learned, he learned um, in just the space of a semester how to do this, and he worked his tail off and caught up with everyone who had been in a classical school, and then his grades were great. But to, so to me, Preston is a great example because he's, He's a kid who's thriving in the typical education system, who's thrown for a complete loop because classical education is expecting more of him. And then he rose to the challenge and did it. And now he's doing great. Yeah. I hope. I'm watching you, <laughs> Preston. Yeah, how did that impact that, you know, that sentence diagramming? Did that unlock um, you know, beyond, obviously, English? Uh, you know, did that unlock success in other courses as well? or? Oh yeah, I mean he will tell you when you're when you're in eighth grade or ninth grade at our school, you're reading real deal literature. You know, you're stu you're not reading summaries of things. You're reading actual Shakespeare, and you're reading Homer's Iliad, and you're reading the Aeneid by Virgil. Mm. And these things ask a lot of us in terms of reading comprehension to begin with, but then also the background knowledge. <clears throat> Excuse me. The background knowledge that you've got to have to, you know, fully understand something like the Iliad, which is an epic poem from ancient Greece, mm -hmm. you know, it's huge. Um, and so, just having that one skill, the ability to analyze sentences and think about how exactly are they put together and why, unlocks not just grammar class but literature, philosophy, government, all of those things.
Well, thank you again. I appreciate it, Dr. O'Toole. Yeah, thank you.